Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and right over there is Nikki Kinzer. Hello, Pete Wright. Are you doing, Nikki Kinzer? I'm doing good on this rainy day. It's a rainy day, but we are we are warmed by the light of ADHD Awareness Month. Yes, we are. <laughs> That's a great way to put <laughs> it. <laughs> That's right. It is the warm glow that ignites our passions. Uh, it, it's very exciting. We're right in the middle of it as we record this. Uh, what's the What's the latest news? You know, nothing new from what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. I just encourage people to go check out the website and on that front page, courtesy of of your work, uh, Pete, you'll see all the different events that are that are coming up. Absolutely. Calendars right there. Just scroll down just a hair, just a hair. You'll see the row of of events coming up. Make sure to check out. uh, Join Nikki for the Facebook Live events uh, uh, each each Friday. Uh, Another one coming up this week. Uh, and uh, so we're very excited about that. Yes. You know, we are, we're talking about uh, the puzzle that is ADHD treatment. And this is a, a really good follow-up to uh, our conversation last week. You know, new to ADHD, like what now? What do I do now? Well, this is, this is kind of chapter two. And we have a fantastic guest who's going to help us with that. Before we dig in, head over to TakeControlADHD.com. Get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there for free on the website or subscribe to our mailing list to uh, get it delivered to your inbox each week. You can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at Take Control ADHD and call us at 503-664-4ADD. That's 503-664-4ADD to get your thoughts and questions on the show. We would love to hear from you. And uh, don't forget, we uh, are actually on Patreon, patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. We thank everybody who's come in and supported us already uh, with a buck or a few bucks a month to support the the work and and interviews and investigations that we've been doing for years now. Uh, Patreon's new to us. And so um, if you've gotten something out of the show uh, and and it's changed your life in some small way, we appreciate you uh, helping us to continue to grow by supporting us on Patreon. Again, patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast. Okay, our guest today is Lori Dupar. She is a senior certified ADHD coach and psychiatric nurse practitioner. It's been a while since we talked with Lori, way back on episode 238, when she helped us unpack the subject of medication and the ADHD brain. Today, Lori is back to help us put together the puzzle that is ADHD treatment. Lori, welcome back to the ADHD podcast. I am excited to be here, Pete and Nikki. Thank you for having me back. Oh, it's been a while. It's, it's an been honor. a long time. And thank you for having me during ADHD Awareness Month. As you were talking about, you know, we're basking in the glow, right? I think it's an orange ribbon, isn't it, that we have? So we're basking <laughs> yes. in the orange ribbon glow of ADHD Awareness Month. So. It's hot. The ribbon is hot. It's actually it is hot, hot this month. Yes. It's hot. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Well, and it is such an important month that, to to talk about ADHD. And it doesn't really matter if you've been newly diagnosed or if you've known about your diagnosis for a long time. What I've noticed is that, you know, life changes for people. We go into different chapters, different transitions, and ADHD may look different for you at different times, depending on what's going on in your life. And, and I thought today would be great to have uh, you come on and, and help us talk about how to navigate that, you know, their ADHD, depending on where they are right now, how do you adapt that to where they are now? And I thought a great place to start would be medication, because this is your expertise, or one of your expertise is definitely about medication. Um, I, I think, you know, most of the experiences that I've, that I've seen with, with clients is, is that's like the first treatment, right? They get the diagnosis and then the doctor immediately wants to talk about medication. Yeah, it is. It's the, um, I think, uh, it's all, also, I think what prevents people, honestly, from getting mm-hmm. um, a diagnosis, but you do need a diagnosis to um, be prescribed ADHD medication. It's uh, And I like that you mentioned, Nikki, that people are at different phases and stages and medication is not something like you do it once and you and it's fixed and it's set. It is something that um, actually needs to be checked in with and um, readjusted, uh, even if you are an adult and not going through what we consider sort of some growth and development and, and brain changes, because your needs for medication and how you're using medication or what how you want the medication to work for you changes um, depending on what the changes are you're making in your life. Yeah. 
What what is it when you when you look at uh, at the decision around moving forward with med- medication? Is there like a is there a sort of a bar, sort of emotional or behavioral bar when you know you know maybe you should be thinking about medication mm-hmm. yeah. uh, versus just you know a therapy and coaching and accommodations? Yeah. So what, what's your yeah. usual uh, guidance there? Yeah, thank you. It's uh, there's actually it's interesting. Some people um, I, I think the emotional bar is sort of like I've tried everything else and I need something to be different. Yeah. Um, there's that place where um, a lot of people have are diagnosed and they may not want to step right into to uh, medication like you mentioned they may want to try coaching or therapy or they as you I mentioned on I think on another bot podcast, we just sort of go to the internet to find the answers. And I typically find that medication is, is even though it's the first thing that is recommended by medical doctors, because that's what they have to treat medication with, that's their sort of their tool, um, that individuals tend to look for other alternatives rather than medication. And, um, but those that go to medication right away, or those that choose to try medication later, it typically is when other things that they've been trying are not working for them. And it's kind of sad that it feels like it's sort of a last resort um, type of a choice, but that that's okay. I think we all need to go through a process where we feel comfortable and feel like we're at that point where, okay, this is the decision I want to make. Well, and this was the this was the sort of thought process too that that I, I know we've been through uh, on in my own family, which is like you you try so many things and then you you step back and think, gosh, there's, I need something that is going to allow me and my brain to open the door for additional change. Maybe. I'm not going to be on medication forever, but if if uh, if I can start with a med that will help me to stop and think about the habits that I need to develop and think about the ways I need to change, um, you know, maybe maybe this is the thing that's going to help do that. And I like how you describe that because that is really, I think, the difference that medication can make and how and several things you brought up there, Pete. One is that. Just because you're t- you take medic- ADHD medication or starting to take ADHD medication doesn't mean you're going to be taking have to take this medication for the rest of your life. Um, right. For whatever reason, ADHD medication is one of those things that we can start and stop. And I like to think of it as a tool that we can use, and it, we use it in a very particular way, and it's a very particular tool, and it needs to be fine. You know, has to be the right tool to be used. So yeah, it's used in different ways over different times, and and a lot of people. Um, are trying to create new habits or trying to create um, some focus to be able to create new habits. And medication can help so much with those types of things. It can just sort of uh, help you get over that hump so you can start to experience, you know, even small successes and changes, which then are motivating and can keep you going. But yeah, I like how you mentioned that there's a there's many ways to look at medication. It's not just take it and um, go go along life as you've been normally doing it. It's really to take the medication and really, I, I think what I encourage my clients to do is to use the medication as a tool to help them accomplish these other things that they want. And then after a certain length of time, you can actually try what happens if I stop taking the medication? What changes for me? Is I'm, Am I still able to to stick with those changes or those habits that I have been able to create and focus on and and plan and organize, which might have been difficult for me before without medication. And what I find over and over again is that for many people, once they've sort of combined the the puzzle piece of medication and also some of the other modalities, you know, whether it be therapy or coaching or some other type of modalities, that eventually it's like, it does become a habit and it can actually decrease their medication. So what are some of the common fears or um, concerns that you have seen with people starting medication? Like what stops them from wanting to start it? Great question. So much fear involved in uh, taking medication because there still perpetuates this myth or myth understanding about what um, the main type of or category of medication that is used to treat ADHD, which is stimulants. And there's a huge misunderstanding about what stimulants do, what they are. And it still, it, it still persists 
consistently today. And so the biggest fears are that I'm going to be taking something that I'm going to become addicted to that is a uh, drug that is unhealthy for me. And I, I really, if, if, if I could probably do some sort of a poster or a billboard or something, it would be stimulant medications activate your dopamine receptor so you can create more dopamine and activate your executive function in ADHD. They do not stimulate your body. They stimulate the dopamine um, receptors. Um, and if we, of course, understand that ADHD is really primarily a deficit of dopamine, it makes a lot of sense. And I wish with all my might that forefathers or whoever those scientists were that created that medication years ago had called it something else. But little did they know that it was going to then be wrapped around some of the ways that uh, illegal drugs and other substances have been sort of um, created and used, um, abused throughout history. And it's never quite been separated from that. And it, and the medication has nothing to do with that. Um, just a huge misunderstanding. Um, mm -hmm. I think it doesn't help that, unfortunately, a lot of prescribers aren't able to explain that to clients. And so they may go in there and um, talk about stimulants. And it's almost like I can just see the, a client sort of like fear, like this red fear go down, like, oh my gosh, we're not talking about stimulants. And I'm not sure the prescribers have a way of, of actually uh, explaining it to them that feels comfortable, that feels um, like they have some confidence in it. I think that's the other thing that I hear from a lot of clients is that uh, for whatever reason, a lot of uh, there's not a lot of people out there that are really well-versed in ADHD medications. And a lot of clients um, will report that they feel like their prescriber is asking them what they want to take, um, which is kind of an awkward position for them to be in. But I think mostly it's, yeah, it's just a misunderstanding and misinformation. And it's why I do some of the classes that I do. I do a full class on teaching about ADHD medication. It's actually a five-week class that's you know, an hour and a half each week that covers medication and how it works. Um, because I recognize that people are not getting that information. And I find, I don't know if you find this, Nikki, when you're working with clients too, that once you provide that information to them in a very non-threatening way, just a very matter of fact way, I think when they have that, uh, they understand what actually the medication does, it, they feel more comfortable and are more at choice. And I think that's sort of a big concern for them. So I think it's just fear of misunderstanding, fear that they're going to become addicted to that. And I, I, I sort of counter that with something that um, I have found that for most people who take ADHD medications, they can't, they, uh, part of my coaching is actually spent trying to help them remember to take their medication, creating right. systems to help them take their medication. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of the anti-behavior of an addict, Right. Yeah. Someone who's addicted to something is not for, doesn't forget to take it the next time. And that is so common with this medication. It is, do we become, does it help people function better? Absolutely. But that's no different than when we put on a pair of glasses. Or do we become addicted to the fact that this, this lens sort of helps us focus? No, we just know that it helps us perform better. And for whatever reason, um, wearing glasses and correcting our, our, our vision is not a problem, but it's really the same thing that's happening with the medication. It's just, uh, but people, may not understand that particular type of analogy. That gets into a misnomer I think I've, I've heard in the past, which is that that uh, ADHD meds somehow build up in your system. Uh, can you debunk that for us real quick? Well, I guess debunk it is like, no, they don't. Do you, do you, um, may you, might you have to adjust the dose? Absolutely. There's all sorts of things that uh, go into making sure you have the right dose of ADHD medication. And it's not just uh, about it. And it's why that you need to sort of revisit the medication to see if it's working. So I think there's sort of this myth that when you start out, uh, oftentimes when people take their first dose of a ADHD medication, which by the way, is actually sort of the gold standard of knowing, do I have ADHD or not? The doctor can listen to your history, listen to your symptoms, listen to all of that. But when you take a stimulant medication, and if you have a positive response to it, meaning that it feel, things feel clearer, um, you're able to concentrate sort of the static 
dies down, that is actually confirmation of the diagnosis. I think that's the other thing a lot of people, I want to say, and I might have you ask your question again, Pete, but another misunderstanding is that I find I talk with a lot of people who don't realize that they actually have been diagnosed with ADHD and they're taking medication, ADHD medication, and you cannot be prescribed ADHD medication via by a prescriber without having a diagnosis. They can't, it's not something that's possible. They have to have a diagnosis there to be able to prescribe that medication. But it's fascinating to me how many people don't realize that they, that for some reason there was a miscommunication between them and their prescriber that they've actually been diagnosed. That's interesting. Yeah, it is. I'm fascinated by that. So I wanted to make that point because that's something that people may not realize. Um, ask your question again, Pete. I apologize. I was my head went no. totally to that little bit. No, there. I'm I'm glad you did. I you know I just uh, I know with our experience with um, ADHD in the family that uh, and and the thing that we struggle with. And I'm talking about my kids at this point. My my daughter would come home and she's like, "Gosh, it just has stopped working." At the end of the day, like and and this is the same thing our our, our physician said. We've got to we've got to watch this. We've got to watch how it works on you because it it does sort of disappear from your system throughout the course of the day. It'll work. She's very effective in the morning, but by the time you know three four o'clock rolls around, she's she's fully symptomatic again. And and so that's a thing that I just wanted to to get your thoughts on. Absolutely. This is another bringing up another great piece that um, I find is sometimes overlooked or not addressed when the medications are prescribed. And it is um, being able, and it's part of the fine tuning there, Pete, that you're talking about. And when I'm working with people, I will, um, I'm very specific about questions that I ask and your listeners can um, ask themselves these questions as well. But when you take the medication to be noting that, note when you start to experience the, you know, the, when does it kick in for you? Mm-hmm. So for some, and everybody, it's going to be different. And we, we, I think uh, from what I find from the prescriber standpoint is that they sort of look at the, you know, the, 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 medical book and say, okay, well, it lasts 10 hours, so I'm going to give you this, and it, it's supposed to last 10 hours. And the fact is, is that the med- each person metabolizes the medication differently. So in order to be able to um, fine-tune your medication so it works right for you when you need it, note when you take the medication and take it consistently at the same time. Also note when it seems to kick in. You may, may not be something some people are noticing, but once you put your attention on it, you probably will. So note that because that's an important time. For instance, like with your daughter, if she's taking it at seven o'clock in the morning and school starts at seven thirty, but it doesn't kick into eight o'clock, there may be a really precious half hour in there that she's missing, um, part of the day and she may want to take it earlier so that it's fully effective when she, you know, hits the books or sits down at the desk or whatever in the morning. And, and conversely, the thing we ran into was that her, some of her most important classes were at the very end of the day. Absolutely. So she actually had to stall <laughs> taking it until, uh, until she would still be effective by the time she needed it. And that's the other sort of parameter. When does the medication start to wear off? And again, it's not something, some people won't notice it as parents, what we tend to notice is that, um, and it's not uncommon for people to feel a little bit um, sort of the opposite of what they felt when they were on the medication. They might feel a little anxious. They might feel a little agitated. A lot of kids, it's, I noticed when my son was younger, it was when I would hear the cupboards in the kitchen go open and close, right? All of a sudden, his appetite was coming back. Um, and it, unfortunately, for a lot of students, that is either right before school's out or right when school is out, when there's a lot of stimulation, they're having to remember their homework, they're having to write it down, they're having to get home, there might be after school things that are going on, and it can be pretty overwhelming for them. Um, And if if you know those parameters, like you're saying with your daughter, you can either adjust when she takes it, for instance, her first classes might be PE or band or something like that, where she's naturally engages in those and she doesn't need the medication to help her hold her attention or focus on that. And maybe her sure. more significant classes like math and English or something at the end of the day where she really, it really benefits her to have the medication fully active in her system. Um, but it, it's, I think with kids especially, and if it's like for your daughter, if it's wearing off about that time, our kids are really, uh, they sort of live a life where it's not just eight hours. They are doing homework, they're doing other things that extend into the evening. And I think for a lot of families and a lot of students, we, they may not, again, 
be getting benefit from medication because it is wearing off. And doing homework is one of the most difficult things for most kids with ADHD. It's not interesting. It's not exciting. Um, and a lot of people may not realize that you can take a, a smaller dose or even a shorter acting dose of your medication towards the end of the day that what I call dovetails into that time period so that you can get the benefit of the medication, but then it's worn off by the time you go to sleep, which actually sort of goes back to one of your questions. One of the biggest fears, um, what I notice is that most physicians when they're, or prescribers when they're setting their clients off, and what I hear is that we, we work, you know, watch how much you're eating and if you're sleeping or not. And by monitoring when the medicate when you take the medication and when it wears off, I really think it helps people to uh, recognize whether or not that medication is still active in their system at bedtime. Uh, there's for most people actually who are in the right dose, the medication, the right timing, uh, the right type of medication, they are actually sleeping better than they ever had. And it brings up the point also that. Typically, especially with children, until they've been diagnosed, we're not really paying attention to how they're sleeping, especially if they're the type of sleeper that just sits in their room and sort of, you know, twiddles their thumb, basically, um, which was what my, my son would do. He didn't get out of bed. I didn't know he wasn't sleeping, but yet when I would make his bed um, or change his bed and he shared a bunk bed with his brother, I'd look up and there'd be all sorts of little things picked at and wallpaper peeled off. And I'm like, this kid is not sleeping at night. Um, but yet he wouldn't get out of bed. And I know some kids do, and that's how parents know they're not sleeping. But ironically, when w we start asking kids, okay, well, how are you sleeping? Because that's what we remember the doctors asked us. And the kids might say, I'm not sleeping well. Well, they've never been sleeping well. We just never asked them monitoring the medications in this way or knowing when the medication wears off, I think gives a lot of parents and also individuals a little bit of confidence that, okay, it's not going to interfere with my sleep, so to, so to speak. Something that I, I keep going back to is when at the very beginning of our conversation, you guys were talking about, you know, this doesn't have to be something that you do forever, mm -hmm. um, that you, you might be able to, to, you know, uh, take the dosage down or change, change the dosage. But my question then is still, if, if you feel like this is a tool that's working for you, it's okay though, for you to take this medication for the rest of your life. Like there isn't anything bad about that. No, absolutely. Absolutely. When we're treating anything typically, and ADHD is sort of unique in this way, where it's it's a it's a treatment that you can take and not take because the medication is more of a tool. Uh, for some people, like you're saying, if you if you or I, I use the analogy, for instance, of eyeglasses, we wouldn't necessarily expect unless there was some other treatment for someone to stop wearing glasses. Um, and there are certain times, for instance, that you want to wear. Like for me, I have to wear you know bifocals, and I take them off and on depending on when I need them. ADHD medication, some people will use it the, the rest of their life every day, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's no harmful effects from that. In fact, we find that people that take it consistently every day actually do better, and it's not just uh, young kids. And I think that's another fear is that we fear that maybe we're going, like we've talked about, the kids are going to become addicted, but we've actually realized that kids that are treated with ADHD medication where they're actually uh, experiencing that positive benefit from it are much, much less likely to start experimenting with other substances later on. Um, yeah, so I don't think that there's a right way or wrong way to do this. What I really want to reinforce to people is that it's a tool that works for you. Sometimes it's a tool you're going to want to use every day. Like people put glasses on every day. That's just what they do. For other people, maybe they just need to put their bifocals on when they're doing a particular type of task and that helps them. It's unique in the ability to be able to use it for each person in whatever way works for them. That's not very common with other types of medications or certainly other types of mental health disorders, which is what this is, even though I don't like to say that, that's what it is. Um, most other types of um, uh, disorders in our body, we have to take something that's consistent. But ADHD medication, we really can use it as a tool. And for some people, that's an everyday thing, no problem. And other people, it's using it maybe once a week for a particular task. For some people, it's using it in the morning because that's when the tough time is for them to be able to organize their day. It's very, very unique. And I think that 
also makes people feel much more comfortable with it, knowing that they can personalize this to what works for them. Um, I, I think that we really undervalue uh, being in control with ADHD. And I think knowing that we have that sense of control or we can have that sense of control over the medication and how it works for us and how we want it to work is really reassuring for a lot of folks. Well, we will definitely put in the show notes the your class. Do you offer that periodically or how does that work? I actually offer that uh, usually once a year. Um, in May or so, I offer it. It's, I do have it recorded so people can still get the class um, recorded, but I do offer it live every year. In, I think in May, I offer it on a month that actually has five Mondays. I know that's mm-hmm. random, but that's how I do it. No, it makes sense. It makes sense. Because people are like, oh, okay, I can, I can totally commit uh, you know, five, five Mondays. But if I spread it over two months, it seems so, somehow it seems so much longer. But yes, it is absolutely. A, yeah, it's a really great class, and it's full of everything from how your brain works to what's going on in, you know, on – in the synapses. And so that when we start talking about what the medications do, which is the, especially the stimulants, what is it that they're actually doing? And I've even had 10 year olds on the class who have started taking medications and um, they, they have written me and said, Oh my gosh, coach Lori, it's been, it's great. I understand how a medication does. Right. So it's really rewarding. Uh, what mm-hmm. a great service too, because people need to have that information. It's yes. not out there. And so that's, it is that's not fantastic. out there. And no. I wish it was, I so wish it was. And I know it's not. And that's why mm-hmm. I do it. Another piece of this puzzle that I want to talk about is, is therapy and coaching. Yeah. You know, I talk a lot about coaching throughout the podcast episodes and y'all talk about what I do and give lots of different examples. Um, I'm, so happy to have another ADHD coach from your perspective, talk about what you do and also the differences between therapy and coaching. Cause I, I think that's still unclear to some people. Um, so let's start with that. Yeah, boy, we could do a whole, a whole podcast. I know. On this, right, Nikki? Um, <laughs> totally. <laughs> so uh, again, love the question. And um, I love that it, it actually is included in part of the treatment, right? We know what we call in the, in our community, sort of a multimodal treatment where medication can really help, but it's not going to be enough because it's not going to teach you certain skills or ways of doing things, which is oftentimes what's happened with people with ADHD. Um, they're having to sort of relearn how to do certain things or having to learn for the first time, for instance, what actually planning is, that kind of thing, those kinds of skills, because their brain has been very preoccupied, maybe up until being diagnosed with other things, is that how I like to put it. So it really is a, a coaching or therapy comes in there as um, as an additional way to help um, people, I think, learn these particular skills or even manage other obstacles that they have. People who have been who have been struggling with ADHD or and the older they are, the I think the more impact that has had on them we oftentimes have created a lot of things in our own head or have maybe created things in our environment that are not working for us, right? That sort of thing. So wanting to sort through that, even the diagnosis of ADHD, I really think it's not as um, when people are diagnosed, I think I heard you on another podcast talking about sort of the emotions that happen after that. Um, There's a lot of emotions involved with that. And I think, I don't know if you find this, Nikki, but the older somebody is or the longer they've gone being undiagnosed, the more potential emotional sort of response they have to that, which is perfectly natural, right? But there can be a lot of things that come up for people, um, misunderstanding, anger, guilt, why wasn't I diagnosed earlier? What could I, how, what could I have done if I had known? So those are definitely great questions, either for a coach or a therapist. And what somebody chooses, I think, is really a sort of a personal choice. Um, I think the difference between and again, I'd love to know your feedback on this as well, if there's something to add to it, is that um, the therapeutic model tends to go back to the origin of the sort of look at sort of the origin of the wound is how I look at that and want to sort of um, heal that or solve that and has a perspective that that needs to be healed or solved in order for the pers- person to move forward. 
to be able to move forward in their life or to be whole or to be um, productive. And coaching really takes a very different approach with this. It's one of the reasons why I went from the therapeutic model to coaching model when I discovered it is because sometimes you can't always fix exactly everything, right? If you break a bone, you're going to have a break in your bone. You may It may heal, but there's always going to be that scar there. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't get up and walk and improve your mobility or your activity um, from a physical standpoint. And I think that it, there's a bit of that in coaching where um, we and I don't know if you hear this, I hear it a lot, where people have been struggling so much with the challenges of the ADHD that when they're diagnosed, they want to just move forward. And they are so ready to do that. And it's with the understanding that there may there may be some old, um, I don't want to say wounds, but old emotions and old feelings, which are natural to have. That's normal to have those. But it doesn't mean it has to keep them from moving forward or creating the changes in their life that they want to. So I think that's one of the differences. I think therapy sort of goes back to the to the wound and has a perspective of needing to heal that um, in order for somebody to move forward. And coaching sort of takes the person where they are. And if our clients are saying, you know what, I know this is that this goes way back for me and I have some, it's impacted me in many, many ways, but I want to move forward. We as coaches trust that the client um, has a sense of who they are and will move forward with them. So we don't need to necessarily go back. Although Mm -hmm. um, certainly dealing with emotions is not something we don't do as coaches. We do. The right. other, the other thing that I think makes a difference, and I didn't know, don't know if you and Pete know that I'm actually have a, my own training program now. So I've just been talking with the students about, about this particular aspect, the difference between therapy and coaching, mostly because people are going to want to know, sort of like you're, um, you're asking me now. Mm-hmm. There's also, I think, a very big, the, one of the biggest differences, I think, in coaching and therapy is that as a coach, we call it partnering with the client. What that really means is that we bring as we bring as coaches um, an expertise in understanding the challenges and obstacles that somebody experiences with ADHD, what's happening in general with people with ADHD. And that's our expertise. Our expertise is not in what the client should do, what works for them, what um, solutions they should try. That's not, we don't approach it from that. What we recognize is that the client is an expert in who they are and the role of the coach. We bring that, our expertise of understanding the ADHD. They bring their expertise in who they are. They're the only ones that really know what goes on exactly in their life. Um, and we bring that together to help the client um discover their own solutions, which we trust as coaches are there. They just have maybe not realized that they're there. Um, mm-hmm. There's sort of that that piece of it. So I think this, this uh, partnering where we are not necessarily coming as an expert and telling clients what to do is mm-hmm. very different than, again, a therapeutic model where there's much more mm-hmm. uh, perhaps uh, suggestions on try this, try that, we need to heal this wound, we need to, um, in order to move forward. Is it, What do you think about that, Nikki? Well, I think very much the same way. The way that I explain it is I'll tell people that, that coaching is more of a hands-on approach than therapy. Um, we have a lot of contact, you know, I have a lot of contact with my um, clients in between sessions with tech mes- text messages and emails, and you don't typically have that with um, therapists. Um, definitely a forward approach. Um, I totally agree with you. It's not that you take the emotions out of coaching because they're there. I mean, they're absolutely there. So what I tell clients is that I'm listening for those limiting beliefs and I'm listening for those things that might be stopping them that they're not aware of and bringing that to their attention so they can see that. Um, and I like the way that you say partnering, 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 (laughs) because that's very much what we do is um, I may give an idea or a strategy, but I always tell them, go into it with a a mindset of curiosity and practice and tweak it and do what you need to make it your own and not be tied to the outcome. Um, Because 
it can look different for anybody. There's just no right or wrong way to do something. And, and I find too that, um, and this may just be like recently, I don't know why, but, um, you know how it's just weird how the universe works. <laughs> Sometimes your your clients will have um, a similar issue that they're all dealing with. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that happens, oh. but there's this acceptance that I'm dealing with with a lot of my clients right now of accepting ADHD as it is and not feeling like you should be doing something because somebody else is doing it and comparing yourself to other people, but really giving them the education, like you said, the expertise of this is this is your brain. This is how you're going to naturally think. And that's okay. You don't, you know, Pete said this before too, you don't have to fit into somebody else's normal. So there is a lot of education piece to that. Um, where I tend to draw the line with my clients when, when I say, okay, this is the time that you probably need to see a therapist is if I start to see the, the, the depression um, and anxiety are getting to a, a, a point where it's so impacting their life that they can't move forward, then, you know, I will definitely say this is something you need to to talk to a therapist about. I'm also personally not very comfortable with talking about um, relationships. And so what I'll do is I'll talk to it. I'll talk about it to an extent. And then I will let the client know, you know, this is probably better for you to go talk to a marriage therapist, or I'll recommend them um, to see Melissa, Melissa Orlov's book, you know, um, because that's just me personally. It's like I can touch on it to a, to an extent. So I think it's per coach too. Like what, because you will talk a lot about medication and I don't like, that's not something that I talk a lot about either. Um, so I think it's kind of per coach as well as per ADHD client. Yeah, I know? think that, and I think that's where sort of the partnership piece comes in, um, is that it's each coach is, the, there is a different fit for each person and the strengths of the coach. And we do tend to attract, I think, clients that um, are either very similar to us or going through something similar. I know exactly what you're saying. Uh I, I, I mean, we could, we could have a whole nother discussion about that, but it's sometimes uncanny, right? How that happens. Um, yes. yeah. And I, d- I do like the, the distinction that you made. Um, and I, I want, just want to sort of underscore that. Um, I always tell the students when I'm training them that never to, co- coaches are never to work with somebody that they're uncomfortable with. And each coach, my background brings with me a different set of strengths, a different set of experiences and expertise that expands some of the areas that I'm comfortable working with. Um, however, coaches are are trained to be able to know what their limitations are and just like you're doing to be able to refer or to suggest um, another uh, a professional if they're they would be able to address another area better I think there is that very important distinction that a coach is not for you if whatever it is that you're experiencing what what I sort of use as a clinic clinically like it is so incapacitating the, as you mentioned, the anxiety, depression is you cannot move forward. Then right. it is time to go and see a therapist because with a coach, what you're going to be doing is actually taking those steps. And some people are not, don't have the energy to do that. They really do need to spend mm-hmm. time in therapy, um, healing some of those things. They're not, they are not, um, areas that they can actually move forward with. They're, they're so heavy or, or, um, cumbersome for the, for the person that they actually need to be uh, looked at for a while before they can actually move forward with them. Um, that's a really great distinction. And I like that you're making also the point that uh, because we coaching is a fairly new profession and a lot of people don't understand sort of how coaching works, I like the the comparison that you do that coaching is uh, more than just really the therapy. We aren't just meeting with someone once a week. We're doing all sorts of of other types of support or contact with our clients throughout our work together, uh, mm-hmm. which is, I think, very different. Another thing that I always want to make sure I'm putting out here, because I see that it's a very misunderstood concept. Um, just recently, I was reading an article, and I was shocked to read that there was still this perception that coaching isn't regulated. It is a regulated profession. And whenever you're looking for a coach, um, we have an organization called the International Coach Federation that's been around for about 25 years. And it's the largest regulating body 
of coaches and they set the ethical standards and competencies for what coaching is, ask if your coach is credentialed, ask what their training is. Um, because it's a new profession, it's, it hasn't sort of reached that place where there's a licensure where people cannot Mm -hmm. say they're a coach unless they have reached this particular level. I truly believe we'll get there just no different than the therapeutic profession has or the medical profession has. Um, there was a time when therapists didn't have to take a licensing exam or medic, you know, nursing certainly didn't have to do that years ago, not too many years ago, but we'll get there. But there is a regulating Mm -hmm. body. So know that when you're working with coaches that um, ask about those things, because people can sometimes say they're a coach, but they may not have actually been through, through the type of rigorous training training that Mm -hmm. um, is upheld to be the standard of coaching. Let's let's pivot a bit to self care. We we yeah. you know we've been talking about um, you know talking about these heavy things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's lighten the mood a little bit. Yeah, self care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I- uh, one of the things that I hope I can I want to bring up. So when it comes to self care, I love this question because people ask me. Um, we were talking about medication, super important. Coaching, super important for people who want to. Uh, and I love that sort of do things differently. I mean, coaching we help someone understand how their brain works so that they go, oh my gosh, no wonder that wasn't working for me. I can do it this way. It totally works. Why not? Let me do it. Right. Um, and then there's some other things that make huge differences. And I think in somebody's uh, experience, I should say with their ADHD, and it does fall into the self-care I'm thinking, Pete, one is sleep. Mm-hmm. I feel sometimes like I'm the sleep police. And I'm a big believer that if we didn't need sleep, we would have evolved out of it years ago. And I am, I, if there's one thing I have my clients do, if they really want to experience um, an improvement in their brain style, whether they're, and especially if they are deciding at the time not to do medications, they must sleep. They must sleep. Mm-hmm. And that is such a hard thing uh, for a lot of ADHD clients to do because our brains get really busy. We are up all night, night times a time when we can get a lot of things done because it's quiet. But when we don't get that sleep, even if we shift that an hour here or an hour there, you know, it's basically like creating jet lag in our system. It impacts our ability to think, to concentrate, to focus. It is huge. Um, so anything you can do to sleep, focus on that. It's going to make a huge difference. Do you find that Nikki this, or Pete yourself? Is, oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, and, 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 and as a coach that, con- you know, those text messages, part of that is, you know, re- reminding them, you know, work, are you working on your evening routine? How's that going? And, you know, that those little subtle reminders of, um, how important that sleep is. In fact, I just texted somebody, um, today because I was confirming our appointment this afternoon and she's, and she said, she wrote back saying that, you know, I've only had three hours of sleep. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if I should take a nap. And then first thing I said is your sleep is most important. We can reschedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I tend to forget too, so. it, it, that, that for, you know, living with ADHD, one of the things that's so difficult is making transitions. It's hard to make oh, transitions. Yes. That includes going from wake to sleep, or in particular, sleep to wake. That is just another transition that you have to deal with, and it's hard to do. It takes practice. It takes attention. It takes you know thinking about caffeine. It takes thinking about sugar. It takes thinking about all these things to make transitions smooth. Yes. Um, I remember uh, sleep is uh, probably the second biggest thing that I talk about with clients. Um, and it's fascinating to me because I, I love sleep and it's very frustrating to me when I can't get any sleep. But I, I always interesting to me when people say sleep is boring for them with ADHD. It's truly boring. Like, and it's, I think you're exactly right, Pete. It's about this transition from activity to sort of not doing anything. Um, that yeah. can be difficult. Mm-hmm. So each person has something that's very, that's, that's very different that might interfere with their sleep. And what I found, um, just sort of as a very, very practical uh, approach is to focus on what time you get up every day and make that absolutely consistent because that is going to set the tone for the rest of your day for the way that your body responds to food, when it responds to being thirsty, when it responds to um, elimination, all different kinds of things. So when I'm working with clients over the 15 years I've been doing this coaching, I've tried everything to try and help clients get into a, a regular sleep pattern. And I found that if we if they focus on getting up at the same time every day. And that includes the weekends because a lot of our clients are sort of 
I don't want to say cheating on the weekends, but that's when they might be just having these huge nap fests, right? And then they start Monday and can't figure out why things are all thrown off again. But when we're trying to create that um, consistency, which is so common to have the inconsistency in ADHD, for getting up at the same time, even though it may seem a little bit sinful to do that on the weekends, but if we can do that, we're going to set a rhythm in our body. Our body is naturally going to get tired. It's going to have to get tired because we need to sleep, but it's also going to then set up the a cycle, uh, a predictable cycle and a consistent cycle of taking medication, of when we're hungry, of when we're doing other things, which I think has all different kinds of benefits for, uh, for our clients. Well, the number one benefit is, darn it, you feel better. Right. Once you get good at it, you feel better. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, you, you know, mm-hmm. it's that is a, the the number one sort of reinforcing behavior. That you feel <laughs> the better? Reward. Yes. A client just told me the other day that they have this app called Sleep Cycle. Ooh. And the, the way that it's helped him is it, it, it monitors what type of sleep you're in and will tell you when is the right time for you to wake up so you're not so groggy. Wow. And so I, I, I haven't checked it out, but I definitely think it's worth it because he said for him, he actually had to get up earlier, but he got up earlier and felt better and didn't feel so groggy because he was waking up at the right time. Yeah. Our body goes through different sleep cycles and there's certain deep sleep. If we're waking up at that time. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So check that out. Mm, Sleep cycle. Thank you. Okay, Pete. Now we can talk about well, now yes. I want to talk about vitamin D, but I do want to mention, since you brought up an app, there are a number of apps that allow you to do this, and the better ones actually have motion detectors that are built into them. Sleep Cycle actually uses your phone's accelerometer, but uh, it, you know, one of the things you can tell when investment in this is reaching sort of a fever pitch, because Apple just bought a company that d- develops devices that help you track and maintain better sleep, and, and so we're going to be seeing mm-hmm. more of these kinds of devices. So look for the ones. You put them under your mattress, under your pillow. And they will uh, help you really monitor your sleep. Yeah, yeah. I think sleep is one of those um, one of those mysteries of our lives, and the you know the rest of the the rest of the um, animal kingdom where. There's obviously we. I mean, there's we can talk about the benefits of it, but I think that we don't really fully understand the full benefits of it. And um, yeah, if Apple's investing in it, I mean that that's every <laughs> stamp of that's, approval. That's I need something. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I'm gonna okay. So go buy your stock. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Uh, so you you have you wrote a blog post about the importance of of vitamin D and ADHD. Let's talk about that. Well, yeah, I, I I would happy to go into it, and I know we had a little talk before we got on the call, and it's something that sounds like you've had experience with. So I want to hear about your experience as well, Pete. Um, but I was a, you know, I've lived in about 15 years in sunny climates. I lived overseas in Australia for a few years and then moved down to um, the middle of California in Sacramento. And I was really feeling low mood, low energy, and thinking it was just the fact that I was, you know, starting a new business. I had four kids, all that kind of stuff. And I would go in and my doctor would, you know, take the blood test and say, oh, your vitamin D is low. And I'm like, what? I'm living in California. I don't even have to be in the sun to be in the sun. And when I started, um, and then apparently got super, super low, and I think just because to, I was a, a I should, I'm kind of embarrassed to say, just desperate. I said, okay, fine, I'll take it. And I was at that point of needing to take something prescription. But the difference it made was incredible in my energy, in my mood. And I'm looking at this and, you know, I'm a, I'm a medical and mental health professional. So I was a little bit embarrassed not to really understand this, but I was a little bit uh, comforted by the fact that it's the vitamin D is something that we're just, um, finding out even more about in the medical community. And, um, it's not, I think I was saying to you, Pete, early, it's not just like replacing or taking vitamin B. Vitamin D, we call it a vitamin, but really is a precursor to hormones, which activate all sorts of different systems in your body. And it, it's incredible, uh, how frequently, um, clients with ADHD have low vitamin D levels. I don't know what the what the correlation is, but one of the things when I'm starting to work with clients, especially if uh, they are uh, ex- exhibiting some of those symptoms, is I have them actually go make sure that they're get their blood level checked and ask them to make sure that their vitamin D level are are normal. And I'm 
I would say 25 to 50% have lower vitamin D levels. And just taking a supplement is amazing for them. So that's sort of my experience. And I realized once I wrote that blog, this was several years ago, that so many other people are going, oh my goodness, I just realized that myself. So I don't know what it is, but please, if you're, if even if you're not experiencing sort of fatigue or uh, low mood, is make sure when you go get your uh, physical that you have your vitamin D level checked. Your your physician may or may not do it. I don't think everybody does it, but wow. So tell me, Pete, what happened to you? Well, no, it was, uh, you know, you, you just described it. I, um, went in for my, uh, went in to work with my naturopath and, and, uh, she said, you know, we're going to run some tests after listening to, you know, what I was describing, uh, which was, you know, issues with mood and focus and sleep and all kinds of, of things. And she said, let's, let's start and just make sure we check your vitamin D levels, uh, in addition to all sorts of other things. And, uh, she came back to me and, and her language I think was, was very telling. And, and of course I, I live in Portland, Oregon, which is a pretty gray place, right? I mean, it's it, it's not naturally conducive to to great vitamin D levels. And she said, "I think I would dis- I, I would describe your uh, vitamin D level as quote catastrophically low." Uh, and and that, wow. that's pretty telling. I mean, that's kind of a that's kind of a loaded word. But she put me on a mega 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 dose uh, for for ninety days of vitamin D to get those levels back up, and it the the difference was stunning in my mood, my sleep, my behavior, my my you know temper, uh, just it, my sort of short fuse syndrome. I mean, everything was impacted by this. And again, as we were talking about with medication, this allowed me to sort of open the door to making additional change in in diet and just yes, healthy living. Right? So it's it it's a it's a big deal. I want to stress, right? You, I, I'm living in Seattle now. You're living in Portland. We all know, you know, about that. If we typically we would expect low vitamin D levels, but I really want to reinforce that that you can be living in sunny California, any, you can living in places where sun is abundant. And that isn't going to necessarily mean that you have adequate vitamin D levels. And that was sort of what I, what I was sort of in my mind thinking, you know, what I understood about vitamin D, you get it in the sun and that all that kind of stuff, but that's not true. So even, you know, living in Portland, Seattle, I think we're probably going, yeah, I'm going to go get my vitamin D levels because there's not a lot of sun. It would make sense. But even in sunny Mm -hmm. climates, uh, it is, won't necessarily mean that your vitamin D levels are going to be adequate. And the difference, if you, I think I also had catastrophically low vitamin D levels, replacing that is amazing. And once you get it up to a certain level, you can just take over-the-counter or something like that supplements but much easier to maintain yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. well and and i should say i put the the link to your wonderful blog post in the show notes so swipe over the show notes and you'll see this this link and uh it's the the vitamin d is sunshine enough vitamin d and adhd and there's a section in there that's actually called how to get your vitamin d levels tested you should read that Mm -hmm. before you go to your next checkup because that'll tell you what to say to you i mean we think about with adhd we think about making sure we have our thyroid checked certainly with women in anywhere between like 35 and 80, I make sure that they are having their hormones checked because I think that's something maybe a lot of people don't realize when our estrogen dips, um, our medication works differently because estrogen is sort of like uh, binds our dopamine to our receptors. So it's why a lot of women in their going through um, the menopause time of their life will oftentimes be diagnosed with ADHD. So that's another sort of key factor uh, of things to get checked that people may not even think about doing. So vitamin D, mm-hmm. uh, thyroid, and blood blood levels too, because we can oftentimes mm-hmm. not have energy because of anemia, but also um, hormone hormones. I have a question because uh, I'm low on vitamin D too, and I live in Eugene, Oregon. Um, but I agree, it, it doesn't matter where you live, you should get it checked. Uh, but my doctor had recommended that I take vitamin D and fish oil together. Mm. What's the reason for that? Is there a reason for that? I don't, I don't know. Um, I think fish oil, I I haven't necessarily heard of, there's a necessarily a connection between the vitamin D and fish oil. Um, I'm, I'm, my fingers are itching now to go on Google and find out what that is. Um, (laughs) But I'm I'm thinking fish oil is one of those, you know, the vitamin E is also one of those things that we're realizing that it, 
there's something about that that is helpful in a lot of different ways. So he may have been just suggesting the vitamin E for some other reason. I really don't, I really don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a connection between. Maybe there wasn't a connection. That was just what they recommended. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to look into that myself. (laughs) But it does bring up sort of, we were talking a little bit about other, you know, self-care, other things you can do and things like um, vitamin E, uh, fish oil are, we're finding can be just, it's not going to hurt. And it may even help for some people, it makes a huge difference. Vitamin E is a very, has a very different way of working than it doesn't work like the stimulant medications. Um, but for some reason, it really seems to help people and it's not going to hurt to take it. So I think that's one of those sort of um, wonder, I don't want to say wonder uh, supplements that people are adding to their you know, to their routine, because uh, it couldn't hurt <laughs> to do that. Right. And, and if it makes them feel better, I mean, then, hey, yeah. go for it. Yeah. 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 There's a few other, you know, vitamins that people always ask me about, what should they be looking mm-hmm. for? And um, one of the things that I always want to make sure that I, I, th- I think we want to make sure that if we are taking medication, and we're adding some of these other supplements to it that we are very, very clear with our prescriber that we're doing so. I think there's um, can be a misunderstanding that when we are adding some of these quotes unquote natural supplements to uh, medication that there, it, it's not going to interfere. And the fact is they could. So I really encourage people if you're using multiple types of treatment modalities to make sure that whoever is sort of overseeing your particular care or treatment, that they are aware of the different types of, of, of alternative treatments or medications that you're taking. I think anything that we put in our mouth, right, let's face it, we're hoping for some sort of result. So that includes uh, vitamin D, that includes um, uh, fish oil. Um, but other things that people uh, that we read about consistently wanting to make sure that we have adequate levels of are things like magnesium and iron and zinc, mm-hmm. um, along with the yeah, omega threes are, and people say, well, what dose? And it's one of those things that, uh, you can either research it or you can look on the bottle what it is, but just know that when you're combining those things, it's not, they, they work, they do combine in your body and make sure that your, uh, medical provider knows, uh, whichever way you're going with that knows about all of the different approaches that you're that you're using so that they mm-hmm. can help you coordinate that. Which is why they ask you at the beginning of every appointment, what med- you know, is this medication list up to date? <laughs> it- add anything. They're serious yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason. Yeah. yeah. We were talking a little, there's something else I was going to say where, you know, I, I actually have another, I, I wrote a blog article about the natural treatments of ADHD because a lot of people are really interested in that. And for me, natural isn't necessarily anything, something natural isn't what comes out of a bottle. I just have this sort of um, thing about that. But there are a lot of things that people can be doing that really, really improve their ADHD. You were in the middle of like ADHD awareness month and you are promoting the conference that's coming. Being around other people with ADHD is healing, is a healing force, right? Um, Mm -hmm. That, so because we can isolate ourselves. So one of the, I call it one of the natural treatments of ADHD. And it honestly, you don't have to look very far to find somebody else with ADHD. I think we just sort of attract them or like magnets to other people, but be with other people. Know that you are not alone. Um, if you can attend something like a conference or listen to the podcast, know that being with other people that are, and not even struggling the same way you are, but also experiencing the same success that you are and have the same experience is so, so, so helpful, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. We talked about sleep. Yeah. The other one is sense of humor. Oh my gosh, right? Is that, mm-hmm. that to me is like a, a natural treatment of, of, mm-hmm. uh, and people with ADHD have great sense of humor, pretty much overall, right? We're bright, intelligent, witty people. And uh, make sure you're, you're nurturing that sense of humor. It's um, magic, I think. Oh, oh I like that advice the best. Well, yeah, or even, yeah, or even just, um, it's okay to laugh at yourself. Sometimes yeah, we do some yeah. pretty wacky right. things, right? And we're just like shaking our head, like, "Well, there we go again." I'm sure I don't know what. You're no, talking you don't. About. I actually wrote another blog that's called <laughs> um, "My ADHD Slip Is Showing." Right? It's like when we oh, <laughs> when yeah. we slip up, 
right? And it's like, oops, there it goes again. And does anybody else see that? But right, right? It's, it's true. And if we're not laughing at our, and it's not laughing at yourself to make light of it, because the challenges with ADHD are can be very significant. I don't mean very that real. at all. Right. But it does mean that um, it, I noticed that when we're allowed to be able to, uh, to look at it from another perspective, that it can make all the difference. So and I do think having a sense of humor and being around other people with ADHD is so healing. What a great note to, to end. Thank you so totally. much, Lori. This was so informative. Uh, I appreciate you so much taking the time to be on our show. I, I just, I hope you come back and we don't wait two years. No, all, <laughs> yeah, I just need an invitation, right? That's all, that's all I need. And I'm like yes. always there, <laughs> but it's a yes. pleasure to be. Well, we and congratulations on your success. Two years. That's amazing. Well, we've been doing the podcast for a long time. It was the interviewing that started two years ago with you. You were our very first interview. Oh. Yeah, we'd already done 238 mm-hmm. episodes before we even hit you. This episode is 316 of oh this show. Oh my gosh, and, isn't that and, crazy? It is. Uh, yeah. and thank you for being a part of it. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to, to the show. We sure appreciate it. Uh, and and uh, again, check us out on patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast if you want more great interviews with people like Lori Dupart. Now, Lori... Uh, where uh, would you like people to go find you? Now, the blog post I found was still at coachingforadhd.com. Is that yeah. still where you want to send yeah, people? Well, I, I have just started to put everything under um, one... <laughs> I have like I have mm-hmm. I have my private clients and I have my coaching school that I do now. But if they go to lauriedupar.com, they will land um, in the center of Lauriville. <laughs> <laughs> With all of the things. Yes, that makes and sense. Will, and so I tried to make it as easy as possible. I just did that fairly recently rather than giving out three or four different um URLs which is kind of silly, uh, but we have it all now under if people uh Google lauridupar.com or go to lauridupar.com. It will take you to, I think it takes you to my coaching website, but then you'll find information about all this, my blogs and my download, my ebook and all sorts of different things um, from that, from that site. That is perfect. Excellent. Well, we've got those in the show notes and uh, definitely check those out, everybody. This is such, it's great resources from Lori and uh, a great way to celebrate ADHD awareness month. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, again, for downloading and listening on behalf of the great Lori Dupar and Nikki Kinzer. I'm Pete Wright, and we will catch you next time right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. 